your job should be fulfilling as much as from a business perspective, you want your business to fulfill your vision. You want to do a job that you're passionate about. You could be an employee of a company and be passionate about what you wake up and do. It's been said that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, you know as well as I do, that's just not true. But if you love what you do, can you possibly work in a way that releases the best possible outcomes for your life? Now, that's a valid question that we're going to unravel on this Business Monday episode of A Call to Leadership. I've invited Travis and Sam back to co-host this very special series on the love of work. Myth, fact, debunk. Can't wait for you to listen in. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is A Call to Leadership. Sam, Travis, welcome back. Good to be back. Thank you for having us back. So we've been talking off camera, off mic, and about a cool series we're launching on sales leadership. And not only just leadership in sales, but creating irresistible offers around our organizational mindset. And a lot has been said over the decades, even before... Simon Sinek famously, Start With Why, came out. We were asking, what's your why? Purpose, meaning, value in organizations. It's a great starting point because there's a lot of talk around, especially today, people have been checking out and for many reasons. And the love of your work has come up consistently. Mm. And, you know, let's just broach this conversation because some people say, that if you love what you do, you never have to work another day in your life, right? Now, we know that's not true. Right. But if you love what you do, maybe you'll work at it in a completely different way. And have this conversation around what it looks like maybe in a small entrepreneurial environment. Maybe what it looks like from an academic perspective. Maybe what it looks like from a corporate environment. Because Steve Jobs famously said, I'm going to quote, your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Now, that's a really platonic sort of philosophical approach, but let's break it down. I mean, is that true? And where does it take us? I would say in my experience... It's a plus one. It's a benefit. But I don't think you have to have that to be successful at work. You may need that to feel fulfilled at some level, right? But I would be hard-pressed to say if you looked at the top 500 companies in the world, all 500 corporate executives love their company, right? right? Like that's their passion. Right. Um, because you've worked in, you've I mean, worked yeah, in corporate absolutely. America, quote absolutely. unquote, right? Air quotes. Yeah. And I mean, most of it, were they like, Hey, you got to come in here and love what you do. Or was it more about, Hey, we've got this quote, we got at the bottom line. So when you're talking about, and I've been around several hundred corporate CEOs, I would say the vast majority of them, it's more of a ego driven position where they have this unrelenting desire to be successful because it gives them a feeling of satisfaction. But I have yet to find a senior level executive who is quote unquote all in on their company, right? Usually they're a hired gun 
They've got great contacts from raising capital or some level of success, obviously a high level degrees, but they're not, I would consider a Steve Jobs, right? right? Who is just live, work, breathe, die, that company, right? You can probably list some of those types of CEOs on one or two hands. One or two right? hands. It's the people you know about, right? I right. mean, it's the Zuckerbergs, it's the Musks, it's the Jobs, right? The Disneys, right? It's the guys who are... You're talking about maybe five people that the average ordinary person could list off, right, of great executives, depending on their era in which they grew up in. But there are millions of companies out there with CEOs, right? And so you're looking at a very few chosen individuals who have reached this whole different level of success where you can't think about Apple without Jobs or Tesla without Musk, right? Like they are their companies. Your average company doing $50 million a year in revenue, right? That CEO is walking away with two or $3 million in compensation, a very highly paid position. They might not feel the same way about janitorial duties, right? Or whatever it is that they're doing. You find it a lot more often in small businesses and entrepreneurs, right? That have like this passion within their organization, but you don't find that necessarily all the time in corporate America. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, right, like some of these guys, even though they might not completely love what they do, they're extraordinarily successful, right? But they're never going to be the jobs, the, the musks, right, of their industry. It's interesting you say that because Steve Jobs said that Apple, and this is the new Apple after 97 when he took it back over, he said he wanted it to be designed, at least redesigned, as the largest startup in on the planet, have the startup mentality. And I can't help but think that he was on the same trajectory that you're talking about. Like it, We have to feel like a startup for us to have that vibe, that, that energy. Yeah. 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 I think to what Travis said, I think shared vision gets watered down in the corporate arena of the corporate level. And I think in a small business or entrepreneurial position, it's we strive to get leaders that work for us that are bought into our shared vision, right? It's our mission to find people that buy into our vision, right? In a large corporate level, Fortune 500 company, that's hard to deliver through your leadership channels and effectively down to the frontline employee, right? That's everyone's goal. But yeah, I would agree. I have less experience in that world than Travis, but I can speak to entrepreneurial sense that we're so passionate about our vision. We usually find people and put people around us that excites them, makes them want to be a part of our vision. And eventually shared vision happens and maybe you make something great with your leadership and your idea gets off the ground or your vision does actually happen. I think that, like Steve Jobs said, like a startup, right? It's all excitement. It's all vision. Where's the excitement in a Fortune 500 company with X amount of employees and multiple countries? Like Gambler or 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 Walmart or you know what I mean? Does the Walmart retail employee that's checking out somebody, household goods, are they passionate about their job or do they just like it? Or is it? Well, and I think you can always tell from a company, right? Because you can tell the companies that are known for great customer service, right? An easy one, right? An easy one for everybody in an organization to get behind. There's very few companies that are known for great customer service, but those companies you know, right? So Chick fil A, right? Southwest Airlines, Southwest Airlines, Ritz Carlton, right? Like, I mean, Disney, Disney, right? Like these places where 
you walk in and you get this great experience and you walk out and you love it. But then you think about 99% of the companies that I do business with or I buy something from, I don't get that level of customer experience. It's a job. It's a job. It's a job. And when you have 10 employees or you have 100 or 10,000, Sam, just what you said, right? Like the further you get away from the founder, right, who started Mm -hmm. the company, the more watered down the vision and mission become to a point to where it's just on the wall when you walk into a company. Here it is. It's a little poster. But and they might talk about it during meetings, right? They might give an award for somebody who exemplifies the vision or mission statement. But 90% of the people that work at these companies, like you don't hear about middle market bank managers tweeting or putting on Facebook, right? Like how great my day at work was today. You bring up Disney and Bob Iger, who was over the last 20 years, was just beloved as the Disney people remark of him. He just retired. But like along those lines, because he took ownership, he believed wholeheartedly in creating an exceptional experience for everyone that interacted with that Disney brand. And he took, I mean, he did the Marvel thing where he bought Marvel. He did, he bought, of course, Lucas and the Star Wars. And he really wanted to expand the brand. And he was so bought into the people that worked for him. And they wanted to work for Bob. I mean, even after, of course, Walt's long gone. But like you see his passion, his love for what he did. I mean, it paid dividends in the relationships and people wanted to work more diligently for this company because of the CEO. Well, he communicated. And also, I'm sure he had leadership that bought into that vision as well. So the leadership breakdown also, I think, is a piece of that, right? Because a CEO is going to have so much influence. It's a lot easier to have influence in a small business than it is a Fortune 500 company, right? So you have to pick and choose your leadership very carefully. And that leadership has to communicate that down through the channels. I mean, we saw at our Disney retreat, how passionate the Disney employees were about Disney. They did an exceptional job delivering on that vision, right? So we all should strive for that and have that in our sphere of influence in our companies or in our business. But you mentioned something earlier about hiring the recruiting aspect of it, because the intentionality that you said that you have, because you want people as a founder, you want people that buy into the vision. You're a tech guy. You've always been a tech guy, right? I remember way back in the day, your nickname was cell phone, Sam, right? Still my Instagram tag, actually. (laughs) Always on the cutting edge. Like I always remember Sam being the kind of guy that was on Saturday mornings, drinking his coffee, looking at what the future might hold for tech, right? Because it's in your DNA and you love it. Right. But that doesn't always transfer to the C-suite. Correct. I mean, in general, it it might not even be on the table as necessary. It's really not, right? And I know there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this who may be in that kind of middle leadership. And it's going to be shocking, right? Because you get fed, right, the company line, right? Like, oh, this is what we believe in and this is our values. And yes, I mean, at some point they do. But at the end of the day, right, like, large organization, it's beholden to its shareholders, right? Like the only reason that company exists is to make a profit for its shareholders. And so people who do realize that, right? Like I'm not a shareholder, I'm an employee, right? But the shareholders are more important and ROI is more important, right? And I think kind of touch on a previous segment that you had this, the great resignation that we're in right now could be a great awakening, right? I mean, you could call it what it is, right? People are finding out or just determining 
the company in which there's a job is not fulfilling some deeper seated need that they have. And this is, maybe they're okay with that though. This is what we are. And some people are right. Everybody has to have a job, right? right? I mean, at the end of the day, like you have to have money coming in. Right. So I can appreciate what Steve said about finding your passion. And that is fantastic. I think if you can do that in life, you absolutely should. But until you find that passion, you have bills to pay, right? You have a family to feed. You have to take a job and you're trading time for money. Yes. Right. And I think that when you get into an executive level position, a lot of that is still the same, right? They're trading time for money. They're doing a job in which they are, they're good at most likely, but the whole notion that you have to love your job, extraordinarily passionate about your job, I don't think is realistic. Yeah. No, I don't think you have to, but I think that it talks about striving towards something, right? Because your job should be fulfilling as much as from a business perspective, you want your business to fulfill your vision. You want to do a job that you're passionate about. You could be an employee of a company and be passionate about what you wake up and do every 100%, day. 100%. You could. Now, I know people who are not. 100%. Who wake up every day. They don't like what they do. Actually, talking about this type of stuff on social media or in circles actually more frustrates them than really motivates them because they're like, well, that's not me. Mm -hmm. Why should I be passionate about this company that I work for? They treat me like X or Mm -hmm. they don't do this for me or they don't Mm -hmm. do that for me. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's all relative. I think there gets a point where we all want to find something good in what we do every day. It could be purpose. It could be financial benefit. It could be like PTO or whatever, more important to you. I know some people, but as entrepreneur, you want to be able to deliver a culture within your organization that makes people want to be at your company Mm -hmm. and they need to have shared purpose with you. And whether that shared purpose is your vision or you supply them with a workplace that fulfills something that's important to them, you're still doing a good job at being an entrepreneur when you can deliver that. It can't entrepreneurs. Everything is about them a lot of times, right? My business, my company, my vision, you buy in or else, or I'll get, and most of these guys never grow. You got to know when to lead and you got to know when to follow and the time to follow, follow your leadership. If they want to take part into the, the direction of the company with you and it's high level leadership, like you need to hear out your leadership, whether you disagree with them or not. I know people who just their way. And it's just like, this is the way I see it. And this is the way it's going to be. And they never get anywhere. I'm a true believer in shared vision. And I believe that your leadership should share your vision and buy into your vision for your company to be successful. Would you have that as a prerequisite for becoming a part of the team? Absolutely. 100%. I can tell you at the highest level leadership within my company, we all share the same vision for the company. What about the front line? And the front line shares the same vision as well, which is kind of surprising to say, right? But they're compensated that way. So it's not like they feel like they're getting less for what they do. They love what they do. Actually, I get emails all the time and messages saying, thank you for the opportunity. And that's rare, I know. And I say that in a humble way. It can be difficult in other industries and things like that. But just do your best to make your work culture the best it possibly can be. And you will find people who will want to be at your company or your organization employed with you. And I do think that this is not a broad brush you can paint with someone who's employed or someone who's an entrepreneur. Like every situation is going to be different. Well, I know Travis has got something to say about this because there's, there's probably lots of people you've worked with who do excellent work, 
but they could really care less about a vision or shared purpose. Mm -hmm. They know if I get this work done and I do it flawlessly, then I'm going to make my transactional needs met, not necessarily transformational needs. Mm -hmm. So that exists too. Yeah. In one of my companies, I have four partners and two of those four partners could probably care less what our product is. One is just really stud operations guy. And as long as he's building the coolest thing that he can build from an operations standpoint, he's happy, right? As long as he's making money, right? I have another guy who's a sales guy. And as long as he's selling, he really doesn't care, right? They're not gaining. There's no emotional anything that's being filled within this organization. They're successful. They're good at their job. They like to be really good, right? And so there's the thing about, hey, you know, you could do something better type scenario, but they don't get this large shared purpose or vision. It's, hey, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to take care of what my part of the partnership is. It's going to be the absolute best because they have high work ethics and they want to be successful, but that's it. And they're great. Like they're great. I've taken them through multiple different companies because they're really good at what they do. And I have been in organizations that are very vision focused and those are great too. And you can find people who really buy into the vision and you can kind of feel it from the top down from an organizational standpoint. But I would say that like an organization today in everything that's going on in the environment, right, should pay more attention to their culture. I think it's an important point to have that you have a good culture and people feel rewarded but I don't think you have to have that to be successful. Right. But you hear about work culture now more often than you used to. Like I, it was stuff like in circles people talked about, but now it's like work culture, work culture. Cause now people are leaving in droves and they're realizing, Hey, my work culture is bad. Absolutely. And now I'm rehiring and training and that cost involved with that right. constantly. I have physicians that I work with, right. And these are large practices that they run and across the board right now, Finding employees is challenging and employees have the power, right? I mean, you're talking about people who are getting 25 to 30% raises year over year just to keep people warm bodies in the office, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to that point and you kind of have to say, okay, like how do I maintain, right? The ship is barely staying afloat. And I've got to make sure I don't ruffle feathers or change anything too much. And so right now is a extremely I think challenging time for entrepreneurs, right? Because it's so easy to go get a job, right? Like if you're not really bought into what you're doing and somebody's going to pay you a dollar more, you're probably going to take that job, right? That's a tough spot. But if you're starting out, if you're a smaller business, I think that your work culture needs to be something that you address immediately because if people aren't being fulfilled, yeah, they're going to leave. Right. Yeah, work culture is really what you could have to offer a small business Absolutely. as an advantage. Yeah. Because you're so close to the frontline employee. Farther you get from, like you said, farther you get from the frontline employee, the more difficult it is. But the key is to bring, bring on the right leadership to communicate that. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. people like a Jobs were, they're masterful at painting a larger picture of a greater connection with the human condition, no matter what the widget was. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like learning about the difference between a job, a career and a calling, like a job was, we used to use it as an acronym, just over broke, mm-hmm. right? Cause you just like, okay, I find another one. I find another one. And a career is something that lasts a little bit longer, has more staying power, but then you get to this third level of a calling. And that's something that I truly feel fulfilled in. And 
what I think having a very strong sense of culture does is it draws you closer into, quote unquote, a calling. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be ethereal or existential, but it can be like, wow, you know what? This is something that I can do great work in, something I can feel truly satisfied, and I can love the results I get. It doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, I feel so good about this. I mean, love is not necessarily a feeling. It's an action, right, Mm -hmm. that I care about whatever it is that I'm committed to. But the other part of that is that when you create a culture that has very strict sort of boundaries on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in terms of what we believe, it also creates a cohesiveness. It reminds me of Tony Shea with Zappos. Years ago, he would interview people bring people on, and then they go through their period of acclimation. And then when it was all finished with all the training, he would offer them money to leave. He would offer them, I think it started out as $1,000 or, or so on, to say, you can take this money and you can and leave right now, or don't take it and stay. And he had like 3%, I think it was, the number that were actually leaving, and he thought it should be higher, so he wanted to increase the, the amount that he was paying people. But it created an interesting perspective, right? Absolutely. That's crazy. Because he was trying to get the people that actually truly believed mm-hmm. in what Zappos was doing to stay beyond the transaction into the transformation. I think that actually that feeds right into a lot of the studies that show that both transformational and servant leader environments have lower turnover, higher productivity, better performance. I mean, ultimately, they're more successful organizations in terms of the human capital component. And that's where I think maybe we can learn a little bit from what Steve Jobs is saying in terms of how we can get more people to the table to do their best possible work. I think it depends on the company as well. I mean, I think there's plenty of people within Apple and Tesla and Amazon that probably have more of a buy-in of their vision because that fulfills whatever their need is. But it doesn't even have to be like a super like hip or cool type of thing. I think about like Barry Miller, who's in St. Louis, and it's a manufacturing firm. But Bob Chapman that took that company over, I think it was in the 80s, he wanted to really invest in his people. And he began creating a manufacturing environment where people could learn and grow. He treated them as family. And he started like different classes that the employees could take. One of them's on listening. Actually, Simon Sinek took the class himself because it's such an interesting sort of dynamic in that environment. So, I mean, I think this kind of concept of creating a culture where people actually love to work is not just reserved for like hip and cool, like right. an right. Apple product. Right. Are you driving a Tesla? Yeah. No. Are you at Starbucks? It makes sense, right? But I think it takes a leader who can see that. And I don't think that there's a lot of leaders who actually, they may know that, but they don't see it, right? right? I mean, I think there's a difference between understanding a concept and really seeing the concept. Because it has to start at the top. Absolutely. It has to, like the Bob Chapman, like the, I mean, there's a lot of unknown leaders in these organizations as far as like in the media that are not well-known who are doing these kind of things because it's they truly care about the experience internally Mm -hmm. just as much as externally well usually if there's a good internal experience that's going to yield a good external experience right i mean you take the servant leadership model and it's kind of pouring into the employees so therefore they pour into the customers right and so i mean but those companies that actually do that I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's it's going to be very few because I know when I'm out in the public, I'm buying things. I very rarely get a good experience. 
I'm more used to having poor experiences now and just saying, oh, they're understaffed. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's this time, right? This weird time that we live in right now. It's excuses because you just get poor experiences so often that you're just like, they're setting the bar so low. And when you do get a good experience, you're like, holy cow, like that was awesome. You know what I mean? It's very few and far between. And it's kind of the companies we mentioned, right? I mean, you're paying a lot for that experience because that's the only places that really are pouring into their employees enough for you to feel it. And it's a shame. Yeah. But it is what it is, right? And the other part of that is that you can try to like fake it as a CEO. Say, oh, you know what? We're going to start a servant leadership model. Yeah, no, that doesn't. Right. But I'm not a servant leader, nor do I really care to be one. Of course, I didn't really say that. I was just, it was just a thought bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody else sees it, right? Mm -hmm. Because the inauthentic leader is probably worse to follow Mm -hmm. than the one authentically says, you know what? We're just going to keep having our earnings calls and try to make more money at this, this company, right? You have to buy into it. You have to buy into it. You have to have that in your DNA. And it's not that I don't believe that that's the best course of action from a business standpoint, but my exposure to these senior level executives are very few people actually possess that. And therefore it doesn't roll downhill, right? right. Their it words. It comes back to leadership. It, yeah, seems like. it, it all comes back to leadership, 100%. Yeah. But it all comes back. I mean, at the end of the day, it's leaders are do what I say, do what I say, don't do what I do, right? Say what I want you to say. You can feel that from the time you walk into an establishment, the service that you need, right? Like, and you walk out and you know there's a great leader here. There's not a great leader here. Yeah. Yeah. I try to like focus on not even talking about the widget, if you will. Right. So when in my companies, especially in the tax and accounting and the advisory firm, I go around and tell my staff that we're not in the tax business. We're in the love business, right? Because people need love. And I can't tell them that unless I live it Mm -hmm. because people are watching the leader. Okay. How do you exemplify the values that you communicate. And if you do exemplify them, the good news is that people, others, your team will begin to be like, okay, I can get behind that. Not only because you're doing it, but because it actually works and actually feels better. I actually leave with some kind of level of like, wow, I was able to help someone today. And that's a good thing. Now that's an intrinsic reward, but you've got to tie tangible ones into it as well and show people that they can grow. And I've found that people actually give more of their best when you, as the leader, show them that there's a possibility to improve through it. Wow, what a way to end this first episode in this two-part series on Love of Work. I can't wait for you to listen into the next one. I'm so thankful that you're in the trenches with me along this journey as we explore the beauty of mastery in aiming for greatness in your leadership. Our very next episode coming up on Wednesday, I don't want you to miss this. It's releasing excellence in sales leadership with my friend, Jason Catlin. You're going to be super, super, super inspired by this episode. And I can't wait to see you soon. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is a call to leadership.